Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And welcome to Sakinian Skill, hosted by Johnny Seifert. This is the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. And if you have the same mantra as me, then before we get to today's guest, please subscribe to Sakinian Skill while listening. And at the end of the episode, leave a five-star rating and a review. Now for today's guest, I want to do something a bit different. Normally you hear celebrities tell their mental health journeys, but as we're entering summer season and you're looking for books to read for your mental health to evoke emotions of happiness, I want to bring on my friend Jo Thomas, who's one of the best writers in the UK. She's written 15 novels that involve a love story abroad. There's a type of food and there's lots of tears. She is amazing. and I just finished her new book, Summer at the Ice Cream Cafe, featuring two boys who are fostered and open an ice cream cafe on the beach. To tell me more, I'm delighted to welcome two seconds ago. It's the incredible author. It's Joe Thomas. Hello, Joe. Hello, Johnny. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. Well, I get an email every year and it tells me all the books that are coming up and I always look for Joe Thomas and there's now there's two, but it used to be you get one book around the summertime and then you and now we're getting a Christmas book each year as well. And it's amazing. because I'm like, yes, it's coming. Summer's on its way. And then you just make me hungry and then you make me want to go to another country. Like I remember the first time I read one of your books, it was like, I want to just go to France and be in a field eating a baguette just because of the emotions that you evoked for me. Food and love and emotions are so tightly interwoven, aren't they? You know, that's the point. I can remember when I started writing and people would say things like, write about what you know. And I thought, I don't know about anything. I'm not a chef. I'm not a farmer. I didn't have a wonderful career as a florist before this or a ballerina. And I thought the only thing I really love is food. But again, I'm not a chef. And then I thought, Food is important to me. I have lots of food memories, happy ones, sad ones. And it's okay to go on the journey with your character. So I decided to put food at the heart of each book and allow that and the character's feelings and emotions to play out their story. Well, and this is it because you choose a type of food. It's not like, oh, it's a feast. It'll be like a cake, ham, smoked salmon. You know, it, it's one ingredient, but the ingredient tells a thousand stories. Well, the thing for me is, I think when I'm going on holiday, the first thing I want to do is go to the market. And before the days of Kindles and things, I would pack Nigel Slater into my hand luggage, <laughs> take him with me. 
<laughs> and I, I think I'd have Nigel Slater, maybe Nigella. They'd come with me. And the first thing I want to do is get to the market, see what everyone's buying, see what everyone's making. Because I think if you find the food of an area, that just takes you by the hand and leads you into the whole history of the place, the community, how they live. And when I first wrote my first book, The Oyster Catcher, I was struggling around thinking, oh, I don't know what to write about. I think I'd had four attempts at a novel before that. And we happened to be, we were in Galway in Ireland. And my husband had been asked to go over there and work. And we arrived on a little recce weekend and I've never seen rain like it ever. And we've been living in Wales. You know, this was monumental rain. I thought, I'm not coming here. And while we were there, I said, the only thing I want to do is go to a really nice seafood restaurant. And we went to this restaurant and we walked in. It was like going into somebody's little cottage, a fisherman's cottage. They sat us in the table. The fire was roaring and there were candles on the table. And they sat us in the window with a candle. And for just a little bit, it stopped raining. And the moon came out and it sort of just did this silver shimmer across the water. And I went, oh, that's Galway Bay. That's what people talk about. Okay. And then I sat there and ate this plate of oysters, right? The most amazing oysters with red wine and shallot dressing. And I sat there with the lights going, the fire, the moon. I went, this is sexy. And then I started to find out more about the oysters and the shell shucking competitions. And actually the role of oysters during the famine, even keeping people alive. And you realize that this one food was at the heart of this place's, you know, history and community and heritage. And to this day, you know, their celebrations. And I went, right, I'm putting oysters at the heart of this book. And it sort of went from there, really. What I love about that anecdote is, number one, obviously your passion, but also you're so right because, you know, I go to an all-inclusive hotel and I think, oh, I'm just going away. I just want to relax, just want to switch off, read a couple of books, walking up and down the swimming pool, you know. Um, And... What you do is you do that thing where you go to a city and you go down the cobbled streets and you go away from the touristy part and you get as far away from that as possible and it becomes real. You know, you look at seafood. I don't eat seafood, but I know a lot about it. And the fact of you could just grill some seafood and you get that freshness, just a bit of olive oil, a bit of lemon juice on top and let it speak for itself. And that's exactly what we've done with the oysters. And again, it tells that story because you can picture yourself just feeling really relaxed. You know, yes, you might take a picture for Instagram, but on the whole, Nothing's going around you. You've got no hustle and bustle at all. It's just you, the food, the company, maybe a bottle of red wine on the table as well. And just you're relaxed. And how often do you actually get to do that relaxing where you get to just enjoy the moment? I wrote one book. It was a short book that's in novella on ebook only called The Red Sky at Night. And that was the first time I wrote about Pembrokeshire. And I wanted to write about those mackerel days as a child when the mackerel would come in. We'd be holidaying down in West Wales. The mackerel would come in. The kids would come around with with mackerel on bamboo sticks. And I can remember the year they went from 10p up to 20p each. And then after that, I think they were 50p. And my mother just went off the scale of that. But then they would come around and and you could just smell the the butter being melting in the pans outside in this in this campsite and it just waft across the campsite as people started to cook their evening mackerel and that just simple mackerel with french bread and lemon that just then drizzles down your wrist and the butter and the simplicity of it as i say i am not a fancy chef i'm a really simple cook and i love feeding people but i love simplicity in food you know my favorite meals are all with heart at them my last 
birthday party, birthday lunch with my father. I was 20 and we were in the south of France. I was living in France and they came down to visit me and he had motor neuron disease. So he was in a very big wheelchair at the time. And we said, where should we go for lunch? And someone said, Maurice and Williams. Well, Maurice and Williams is one of these lovely pop-up restaurants that happen in France just for three months over the summer. And it is on the beach. It's a grill and it's got a little um, sort of marquee type covering. So the right, Maurice and Williams. So the first thing is we've got to get my dad across the sand in this big old wheelchair. <laughs> so we're dragging the wheelchair across the sand. We get in there. I think we were the only people there because the other people knew the forecast for the day. We ordered wine, we ordered food, and then this this thunderstorm just blew in up off the sea. And they put the sides down the marquee and the sides are flapping. And they said, do you want to carry on with your meal or, you know, do you want to leave? We were like, no, we'll carry on. Well, it was the best meal ever with family and friends. And, you know, my dad there and good food. And and he always, um, even though he couldn't eat that much at that stage, you know, he would be the one to see the wine list and he would run his eyes down it and he would stop. And my mum would say, you know, oh, he wants this wine. You know, right to the very end, you know, enjoyed his very good glass of wine. And that is one of my loveliest memories, you know, despite the sad times that came. Food and emotion absolutely tied up. And it's not just about the food that's on the plate. It's about who you're with, where you are, where you are in life. And that's what in the new book I want to do, that very much I'm saying about the mackerel is that feeling of just sitting and, 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 and just having the time to sit and enjoy the moment and look out to sea and just cook the mackerel or eat the ice cream. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Thank you. 
So let's go back. Obviously, you mentioned your mum and dad, and you mentioned a bit about your growing up. What I love, obviously, for those that know, I work in radio and work in TV. Um, you work on two incredibly big shows. The big show. The big show. And if anyone doesn't know what the big show is, then you just don't know radio. Um, the big show of Steve Wright in the afternoons and uh, Women's Hour on Radio 4 as well. So let's go into your radio journey a little bit. You studied at Westminster University. Why did you want to study radio? Well, um, first of all, it was Westminster University. And then, of course, when I was there, it was the Polytechnic of Central London. So that's that's how time is passing for me. But I went there. So the first year you studied journalism, radio and TV. And I had it in my mind, I would probably do TV. And then I realised when I discovered radio that you could tell your own stories on your own. Um, you didn't have to go, I'll be on lights, I'll be on camera, I'll do this, you know. Although very much now um we work as a team but the story is mine and i love that creative process of being able to just tell the story my way and that's why i went into radio to start with because it, i could tell my own stories well who are you listening to who was getting you into radio in the first place radio 2 gloria honeyford at the time gloria honeyford and terry woga terry wogan what a man i very much enjoy uh radio 4 kind of i say documentaries i was never i sort of docudramas I enjoyed the archers I loved the archers and I did love radio that told a story and features half hour features or shorter features so that's what I was sort of listening to I was doing a bit of radio four but mostly radio two how amazing is that because growing up being part of the togs of Terry Wogan's club um, you know where he's talking directly to you and I I've I'm working with his son now and we're getting very, very pally. I, but I was a Chris Moore's boy growing up, so I never really knew Terry. I only knew Terry through Chris Moore's impressions of him. But working with his son, Mark, now and just hearing the anecdote, it's just incredible. Uh, and Gloria Hannaford, who was the first lady on Radio 2, and the reason why they had female toilets at Radio 2 was because of Gloria herself. And obviously people know her from Loose Women now, Rip Off Britain now. What was it about them that spoke to you? Because it's always that thing of, there's that one presenter that just talks to you that little bit more than everyone else. Yeah, it it was that feeling of whatever was going on in the day, you were sort of part of this club and it was all going to be all right, you know, and we all had hard days to get through or whatever. Um, and you were just in this club. And do you know what? Terry Wogan would just leave you with a smile on your face. Nothing bad would happen there. Mm. In the morning, nothing bad happened. I just had a nice time with friends and I left with a smile on my face. And that's kind of how I approach storytelling now, which is that I don't want really bad stuff to happen. I want people to feel something, but I want them. It's like a good meal. You know, you go out, you you anticipate it. You choose your menu. You choose what you're going to enjoy. You go on the journey of the meal and you want to leave feeling thoroughly satisfied with a big fat smile on your face. And that's sort of how I felt about listening to Terry Wogan. You know what? You've just made me have a thought of, you're right. You do anticipate what you're going to eat. So if you choose a restaurant you know what you're going to eat before you go there you probably understand what it's going to taste like and then you get the waiter coming along going here's the specials for today and you always ignore it because you're like well I don't want your specials because that's not on the menu that I've already planned what I'm going to eat but you've just got me thinking the specials probably evoke so many other stories about you know this is today's catch of the day and yet we don't think about that because we're rushing through to have our pizza to get to the end we're not actually going on that journey you uh, it's very interesting what you've just said 
Well, I think the specials is, is, a, is yeah, I always take time to look at the specials because if I've gone to this place and they've made the effort to do specials today, then that is telling a story, as you say. It's telling the story of something they brought in, something that they want to highlight. And so the specials always get my, my eye. But you know, as you say, you go to a pizza restaurant, you don't expect to eat Indian food or you go with an expectation. And that's what you get with whether you're listening to a certain radio station or whether you're reading a certain book, you go in with an expectation and you don't really want that expectation messed with. I'll never forget a controversial one was when Vicar of Dibley did a Christmas special and they did it for comic relief. And it made people sit up and think because they went right into a documentary about the problems of Africa at the time, whatever. And it really made people step back because they went into it expecting a Vicar of Dibley and had something totally different and got a big reaction from that. As a rule, if you go in to watch something, a film or, um, you know, if you're if you're reading a crime book, well, then you want a crime. If you're reading, you know, a murder mystery, you want a murder. You expect a certain something, but you want it to have that little twist that maybe you haven't had before or that little flavour of something that the chef has added. You know, but you do expect something from your meal and you expect at the end of it to be left with a big smile on your face, not to have thought that was terrible. I'm never coming here again. And going to the back to the big show with Steve Wright that you used to work on and, you know, the fact that that is you had your expectation of you knew it was going to be high energy highly crafted jingles and you know he got a lot of criticism back in the day of oh you know he pre-records so much and I think it's live but it is so slick you know what you're going to expect you knew that on a Wednesday that he'd be playing a harp you knew on a Friday he'd be doing serious jockeying no G you knew that every intricate detail had been thought about of where's that jingle going where's that bed going what's he going to be doing next and that's the craft of radio and similar to when you're creating books is you've got to craft it in such a way what were those skills you took away from working on Steve's show that brought you as you're an author to go right I need to take that craftiness and that creativity to that stage because it's very similar having a running order uh, and having a script very much so you know when you're crafting a show um, you you're putting down on paper how you want that to work and how you want it to end up, especially if you're doing a radio feature. You know, you want to come in with something high impact to grab the attention and then take people back a little bit. And you want them to go on this journey to the end of the show and stay with you. Like if you're making a radio feature, you know, you know you want to come in big and then just, you know, take a little bit of time to tell people why we're listening to this and what we're doing and, you know, where we're going next. And then you want some drama. And just before the end, you know, you want that sort of rug pulling moment. Are we going to pull this off or not? And then the end. So very much the crafting of radio was a skill I took away from it. Working in daily radio programmes as well. Before I went to Radio 2, I worked at Radio Wales on their daily magazine programmes. You had to have items. You, know, you you couldn't say, oh, well, the muse hasn't come to me today. You know, we'll have a bit of dead air for two minutes. You had to come up with something there and then. So I'm writing two books a year because you have to come up with something. Sit, you know, sit your bottom in the chair and come up with something. You can always make it better later on, but you can't have dead air, as it were. And the other thing from my time working at Radio 2 is I worked a lot in what they called, after I was on Steve's programme, I went on to what they called in those days was social action programming. And it was about 
the community of Radio 2 and issues that might affect people and affect and get little snippets going across the whole network. So I worked on a very big campaign, which we did about bereavement. We did one on sleep problems. We did multicultural Britain. And, and it was about meeting people and hearing their stories. And that is another thing that really helped me going on to write books because it's about taking the person and then finding out who they really are and how they've got to this point in their lives so they were really big skills that led me towards writing books and obviously you're multitasking the whole time so whether you're writing now doing two books a year are you doing a Danielle Steele which is writing the books at the same time and swapping between the two or do you go right I'm going to write this book and then on to the next one how it usually works with me because I'm doing two uh, I have a pattern that I get into. So like now, uh, June, July, August, I'm just writing the new book for next summer. We're just finishing up on publicity for this book. I have this summer now to write this book. Then we go into publicity for my Christmas book and marketing. And it all has to work in sort of pattern because you have, you're writing the book, then you'll have your edits come in and you might be then swapping with, something else you're doing then you have your copy edits come in and your proofs and then you go back to your book so you have to just juggle it all but I'm not writing two books at the same time it must be really hard because next year you're doing a follow-up to escape to the French farmhouse which I absolutely love and that's where I got the idea of having the baguette and driving through France I love that idea so you've got that which you're having to bring back characters like Dell, for example at the same time, you're promoting some at the Ice Cream Cafe. Then you've got the Countdown to Christmas book that's out later this year. How do you remember which is going on where? Who's the character that I'm actually supposed to be focusing on? Or does it end up being a blur? And stir into that a good dollop of the menopause, I tell you. So, uh, yeah, you have to make notes, really. There's a lot of referring back. But when you're actually writing the book and you're there in the moment, writing with the characters, you're there with them and they're just hopefully taking you by the hand and telling you where we're going, as Del did to me this morning. And I had to quickly make notes when I was sitting in bed, having my cup of tea and my collagen. Then you have to think, I'm now about to... So we're finishing up with the characters in West Wales, which I've loved, loved being there. And I hope we'll revisit them at some point. And then I've just done the proofs on Countdown to Christmas. And actually, I'm really quite in love with the characters there. They all just have a little place in my head and just bubble around and then I bring them to the fore when I need them. Well it's interesting it's like soap operas you know you look at EastEnders at the moment Yolande's coming back Cindy Beale's back Ian's back with books I'm noticing this trend that you're doing that you're bringing back one of your older books and revisiting it Adele Parks's new book that's just come out is a follow-up from a book from two years ago Lisa Jewell did a follow-up to The Family Upstairs a couple of years ago as well. Why is it that you're revisiting these old, other books that you've already written, rather than just doing new novels? Is it a lockdown thing, do you think? No, I think it's what the readers want. You know, they, when they invest in characters, it's like this week I ended up tweeting, asking if anybody else was wondering how Ted Lasso was doing. I mean, <laughs> I'm just, I just worry. I want to know what he's up to. And someone replied, it's OK, Joe. It's coming up to the 4th of July. He's preparing a big party for his son's baseball team uh, and they're going to have a balloon water fight or something. I said, oh, that's fine then. But, you know, Ted Lasso still lives for me. 
just because the series is finished, it doesn't mean to say that I'm, you know, I'm not still invested in him and the characters there. And I think it's the same with, you know, when people actually really take to a book, they, I, I, you know, I get more and more email about, you know, please, can we have a follow up? I want to know how they're doing. That's why I always quite enjoy putting an epilogue onto a novel just so you know they're okay they're all doing all right don't worry you know because you finish the book and they want to go right it's like when I read uh, I've just finished reading Fiona Walker's Country Secrets and I love Fiona's writing and she's very much like Jilly Cooper and every night you go to bed open up the book and it's like you've gone down the pub with your mates like hi oh you're here great oh you're here too brilliant and so you you know you're your sort of feelings for them don't just shut off once the book finishes. You you know, so she's done, I think, three in this series, which is brilliant because you go, yes, yes, I'm back with them. Brilliant. You know, she's got this wonderful group of old, older women, mostly menopausal. I wonder why I relate to that. Um, that she um they go out riding every day and they call them sort call themselves something like the old bags or something, the old saddlebags. So you just go, oh, the old saddlebags are back, great. And you just invest. And if you invest, then that doesn't just switch off as soon as you finish reading the book. Do you not think that? Because I read about 40 books a year. And so I finish a book and then I'm on to the next. And if I'm reading them on holiday, I'll read about four in a week. And I forget the book that I've just read, that I can't tell you the character names of what happened in the three books I read last week and the week before, because it's all a blur. I'm only focusing on this. Unless you've told me these are three books. So, for example, Amanda Prowse did a uh, series, a trilogy, and she had Anna, Theo, and Kitty. And I knew exactly what was going on because, yeah, you're right, I was following that journey, but I also knew that those three books I had to read back to back to back. But when it's a year or two later, how are you going to make sure that number one, the readers who had read your book two years ago remember what's going on with Dell, but secondly, you're not excluding the new readers who didn't know it was a follow-up from a previous book. You do have to make sure that you're doing a lot of scene setting and and remind either reminding the readers who who were there for the first book or making it so that the new readers you know know why we're here and, and the story so far. So you do have to drip that into the story. And, and making sure that you know they remember, uh, or or new readers know what's happening and bring them up to date quite quickly. So that's your book for the end of this year and a book for next year. You've got a four book deal for six figures, as according to the press release. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love when they put that. It's a six figure deal she's got. <laughs> think of the money she's got. Yeah, and also think of how much work I've got to do for those six figures as well. <laughs> exactly. So that's that takes you up to the end of next year. How many books have you got in mind, or do you go year by year to go right? It's likely I'll bring two more books out next year. Don't know the ideas yet, but it will come to me. Oh no, my poor agent. Um, he gets bombarded practically daily with, oh, I've got this idea. <laughs> So there is a big old document that just says, so at the moment we're just planning. Um, so we have countdown to Christmas coming for this Christmas. I'm writing the return to the French farmhouse for next summer. Then we have an idea for next winter's book. And I think we've got ideas for the following two as well. And then there's still all these other ones I want to write. There's a lot of food in the world. So what I want for you to do is to write a book about Rugalach. Have you ever come across Rugalach before? No. 
So Rugolov, I wish I had one. I ate one yesterday, actually. It's a chocolate croissant, but it's like a chocolate pastry croissant. Really soft and gooey. It's the most amazing thing. I'll send you a box of them. Uh, but you find them in Israel. Israel do the best ones. So oh, I want man. you to have a character called Johnny, who's yeah. a radio producer, who yeah. is in Israel eating these Rugolov. And I want a love story set there, and I want to be featured. So can we do that for two years' time, please? Okay, fine. I've got a little idea for Israel. See, it all comes together. I'll, I'll just, I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll blend it with the other recipes and ideas I've got for that. Oh, I like that. Well, so there's another author who's writing a book for next year, and I am one of the characters. So basically, my idea now is to basically try and be featured in a book every single year now yeah. for more yeah. my favourite authors. Brilliant. Well, exactly. <laughs> no, so look, let's talk about some of the ice cream cafe. Um, you tell me what, I mean, I know, I, I I never know how to ask this question because I never want to give away any spoilers. And it's very hard when it's a book because when it's a TV program or film, you know probably 80% of the plot before you even watch it. With a book, I don't want to spoil anything. So Joe, tell me about your amazing book, Some at the Ice Cream Cafe. Well, this is about Becca, who after lockdown, her marriage has dissolved and she's got to the top of her tree, but she's wondering if it was the right tree to climb, as it were. She's got a very successful cleaning business, but decides to sell up and move home because the house of her dreams when she was a child has come on the market. And everything about her life is at a crossroads. You know, when you when, when you know, should she have had children? Did she miss out on that? She's at a crossroads. And what she wants to do is foster. She's going back, buying this house, and she's going to become a foster parent. She's done all the training. Um, but nothing ever goes according to plan and how you expected it to. So she moves into the big house and there's lots of things at play here, which is in sort of seaside towns, you've got locals, you've got second homeowners, you've got holidaymakers. And where does she fit into that world as someone coming back after 20 years? You've got the foster children that weren't quite the age that she was expecting and how they find their way through the summer together. And then you've got her history, her past, which was her parents' ice cream shop that has now become a very Gigi kind of uh, bistro and has been run by her ex, the reason she left. And as I say, look, it's like going for a meal. There's the front cover. You know the sort of meal you're going to get. But, you know, I hope that you enjoyed the journey and the flavours with it as this family rediscovering her past, her old friendships, gelato and their journey through gelato to hopefully their new beginnings. such a beautiful book i can't rave about it enough do go and buy joe thomas summer at the ice cream cafe and you've been listening to security and insecure of me johnny c but if you like what you heard please do go and make the podcast subscribe to it share it with a friend and let's keep spreading the word it's okay to not be okay and if you love authors and you love reading and it's good for your mental health to escape there's other episodes on security and Insecure with lisa jewel amanda prowse nicola gill adele parks jane fallon tim weaver and annabelle knight some of my other favorite authors as well do go and check them out because along with Joe, those 10 every single year, the first thing I do on January the 1st is look to see when their books are out. I love reading. I love escapism. I love staying in the bar for an hour and a half every single night and just reading and deserting myself away from the screen and getting involved in someone else's journey. So please do go and do the same. Sum Up the Ice Cream Cafe is an incredible book by Joe, published by Transworld, that you need to go and buy now. Thank you for listening. I'm Johnny Seifert. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.